Greetings, everyone. This is podcast 42, March 20th, 2023. I'm Paula Bach, author of Rescue the Teacher, Save the Child. You can find my book on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. I would just encourage the listener to take a look at the book at the end of most chapters are questions for four points of view, students, parents, teachers, and administrators. And the reason it was designed that way is so that all of these points of view can have a conversation about how we can better affect and encourage the best education for our kids possible. As always, please hit the subscribe and share button at any time and do leave a comment, but remember, no one listens when the tone is confrontational. The case of the captured child in America's classrooms, part four. Students who are forced to absorb propaganda from one ideological sway do not have the means nor the courage to leave the classroom in the midst of a lecture. They are truly a captured audience. Last week, I left you with three questions. Are the public schools completely godless? Do we empty our public schools of Christian and other faith-based children? Is there a way to balance subject matters so that children do not feel uncomfortable? Before I attempt to answer those questions, here's a review of the most important points from the last three blogs. And I would remind the listener that links can be found embedded in those blogs if you want to check where the information came from. So here we go. In the genesis of American education, both teachers and students were guided by Christian principles. Throughout our country's history, inequities in education existed based on region, race, gender, and social class. This is still true today. Teacher colleges began almost 100 years ago. Then, as now, history and uh, test scores tell us most states have not done enough to prepare new teachers. Consequences for poor achievement have been diminished over the decades. COVID exacerbated this with a complete removal of behavioral and academic expectations for lockdown children. The United States is no longer recognized as one of the top world contenders in educating its children. In 2015, a national test given to Christian students showed that 90% of the students from Christian homes attending public schools are firmly grounded in the basic tenets of secularism. According to the Pew Research Center, Christianity is the world's most persecuted religion across all nations. But no one is burning Christians at the stake in America. Oh no ideologically forced learning instead of the act of burning. No child should ever feel uncomfortable in any American classroom. What about private parochial and homeschools? Cost, cost, and more cost. And the unavailability of today's parents to hold full-time jobs in a shrinking economy and teach their kids from home. So, Here's a headline that might really surprise you. It's from Christianity Today, and here is the headline. 
Public schools aren't godless. Ask the Christians who feel called to stay. According to Pastor Clark Fraley, living in Oklahoma, and I quote, People were saying our schools were Marxist, socialist, atheist, and that just wasn't our experience as local church pastors. Despite the headlines many Christian educators told Christianity Today, they haven't seen cause for outrage in their own school systems and feel convicted to remain in the classroom. And this from 14 years in the field, teacher Brittany Braun has not been asked to quiet her faith or push an agenda she didn't believe in. So we've answered the first question, friends. Our public schools are not godless. And in all transparency, I experienced that firsthand as a Christian educator from 1971 to 2017. So here's another headline. Every school is religious. Think about that. Here are the thoughts from Doug Wilson. He's the author of Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. And I quote, education is a completely religious endeavor. It is impossible to impart knowledge to students without building on religious presuppositions. Education is built on the foundation of the instructor's worldview and the worldview of those who develop the curriculum. It is a myth that education can be non-religious, that is, that education can go on in a vacuum that deliberately excludes the basic questions about life. It is not possible to separate religious values from education. This is because all the fundamental questions of education require religious answers. Not sure how I feel about that, but I can tell you this is what I agree on. Education is built on the foundation of the instructor's worldview and the worldview of those who develop the curriculum. Notice it says nothing about the students. So the answer to question two, emptying out our public schools of faith-based students will not change the perspective. Worldview and biblical view dictate how curriculum is designed and in most cases received. But here's the contradiction. It's between how faith-based students are treated as opposed to their counterparts, and this stings. Here's a portion of a Pew Research Center article report on holiday programs in the public schools, and I quote, Christmas-themed music programs also have raised constitutional concerns. For a holiday music program to be constitutionally sound, the courts maintain school officials must ensure the predominance of secular considerations, such as the program's educational value and the musical qualities of the piece. The schools also must be sensitive to the possibility that some students will feel coerced to participate in the program. And if you go to my blog, it is listed several courts of appeals um, in the Fifth Circuit and also in the Tenth Circuit. Please go and read those. I'm going to continue the quote. Moreover, the courts have said no student should be forced to sing or play music that offends their religious sensibilities. Therefore, schools must allow students to option not to participate. Oh, the irony. The words which pierce the souls of Christians and 
any other faith-based people are these words, and I'm going to quote them again. Moreover, the courts have said no student should feel forced to sing or play music that offends their religious sensibilities. Therefore, schools must allow students the option not to participate. Well, you can guess my questions. Should a faith-based student be forced to participate and be graded on his views of the biology of life starting after birth? Should a student of faith be forced to participate and be graded on his views of evolution? If the government truly believes in equity and diversified education, students of faith must not only be included in the public school population, but their belief system protected. Their freedom of thought and speech must be treated in the court of public opinion with the same amount of reverence the schools give to students who wish to change their pronouns and gender. I have three more cases that are court cases, and I don't want to bore you, so I'll go through them, but you can read them for yourself in the blog. This is from the federal court in 1999, and I quote, the discriminatory suppression of student-initiated religious speech demonstrates not neutrality, but hostility toward religion because the exclusion of religious ideas, symbols, and voices marginalizes religion. When the public sphere is open to ideas and symbols representing non-religious viewpoint, culture, and ideological commitment, to exclude all those whose basis is religious would profoundly distort public culture. This is from Chandler, 1999, U.S. Federal Court. Here is another one, and I quote, Religion clauses must not be interpreted with a view that religion be suppressed in the public arenas in favor of secularism. The Constitution does not require total separation of church and state. Not only is the government permitted to accommodate religion without violating the Establishment Clause, at times it is required to do so. And this is Brown v. Gilmore, 2001. And finally, from the Supreme Court, and I quote again, the state may not establish a religion of secularism in the sense of affirmatively opposing or showing hostility to religion, thus preferring those who believe in no religion over those who do believe. Refusal to permit religious exercises thus is seen not as the realization of state neutrality, but rather as the establishment of a religion of secularism. U.S. Supreme Court, 1963. So, question number three is answered. Not only should the curriculum take into consideration the faith-based student, but it is required to do so. Where do we go from here? My final blog on this subject will address four points of view, student, parent, teacher, and administrator, and how they must maneuver through the curriculum so all children feel comfortable in America's classrooms. I want to leave you with one final quote. And I quote, the First Amendment does not convert our schools into religion-free zones. I am deeply troubled that so many Americans feel that their faith is threatened by the mechanisms that are designed to protect their faith. 
When the First Amendment is invoked as an obstacle to private expression of religion, it is being misused. Religion has a proper place in private and a proper place in public because the public square belongs to all Americans. And who stated this in an article to the New York Times in 1996? President Bill Clinton. And here's the last word. What has happened to our country since President Clinton spoke those words can best be described as an abysmal failure of leadership in education. From the local, state, and federal levels, our educational system is failing our children. And friends, those children are the future of this country. Have a great day. Tune in next week. Hopefully I'll have another one all ready for you. Thank you so much.